uh, what is it, Marcus Borg, who once said, we, we shouldn't be afraid to use the word Christian or Christianity because a certain section of the population have, you know, have tried to define it definitively. No, it's a wide spectrum. Let, the rest of us need to reclaim it and say, Fair hey, enough. this is what it also means. Yes, but if the next thing you're about to say is, hey, we just need to give the word cult a chance. Then I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really going to get nervous. <laughs> give the word cult a chance. Welcome to episode 46 of Pub Theology Live a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft-brewed pint or maybe a fine wine. You can watch us live Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern or 6 p.m. Pacific at pubtheology.com. And you can listen anytime on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. And you can also catch us on the New Thought channel. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsors. Craft Beer Cellar. Their focus is amazing beer, education, hospitality, and you can visit Craft Beer Cellar, C-E-L-L-A-R, for a location near you. And you can win free beer from a Craft Beer Cellar by joining our conversation. You can comment anytime, Twitter, Facebook. Please use the hashtag PTLive so we can find your comment. Or you can call and leave a message on our voicemail. That is 980-PT-LIVE-0, or for people without letters on their phone, 980-785-4830. And our newest sponsor, Wink Wine Club. Wink features superbly crafted wines delivered right to your door. Get started at trywink.com slash PTLIVE for $20 off your first order and other savings. So check it out. Tonight, we have a guest-inspired topic. JB in Nashville asks, how would you define a cult? And what's the difference between a cult and a religion or a church group? Great question, JB. We'll get to that. We'll also consider whether Ogan would make a good cult leader. Woohoo! Sign, <laughs> sign me up. Sign me up. Also, have you ever asked or been asked, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? How would you respond to that question and why do people ask it? And pertinent to our listeners who lead pub theology conversations themselves, we'll open with what are the key ingredients to a successful pub theology gathering? So lots of good stuff tonight. My name is Brian Burkoff. I am the pastor of Holland UCC in Holland, Michigan, and author of the book Pub Theology, Beer, Conversation, and God. And tonight I am mixing it up and drinking a little... Dark Horse, Big Red Blend. So I'm going with the wine tonight. Sweet. And with us as usual, Ogan Holder and Tina Simmons. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Reverend Ogan Holder, Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. And I'm going with beer tonight. And in honor, in honor of our afterlife topic, this is from Schmaltz Brewing Company. And it is called Death by Schmaltz. It is Ooh. a hoppy black ale that I picked up from uh, my local craft beer seller here. 
and I don't really like hoppy ales, and this is a hoppy ale, so I'm gonna be making ugly beer face all night long. Um, but it's got it's not bad though. It's got uh, chocolates and coffee and some rye in it, so it's it's a nice blend. So you're gonna make you're gonna make ugly beer faces all night. All night long. You're not gonna to stop it. drinking it. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> it's got hops. It's got to be good. Right. Uh, this is Tina Simmons, and tonight, um, sticking with my wines because I love them. This is Ardor Cellars, and it's a Syrah, and it's from the Walla Walla Valley. Which, if you ever come to Washington, you have to go to the Walla Walla Valley. It is our wine little community and it has great cabs great merlots and it's just a cute place to visit so highly why recommend it why didn't you take me there when i came to visit because it's really far away and we would have like had to like make like plan it you know what i mean oh when you come back we'll go to walla forbid walla. we plan my visit <laughs> when you come back we'll go to walla walla okay mm -hmm. we'll do a wine tour i'll believe it when i get there and just because I didn't do the Dark Horse justice, it showcases deep flavors of dark berry and black currant, supported by plush tannins, hints of dark roasted oak, and a long finish. Where is it from, Brian? It is from uh, Modesto, California. I love, I love that you were trying to get the uh, cork pop sound, and it didn't really work out for you there. Oh, it's because I opened it earlier. <laughs> did you see that? I, I did. I did see. It. Are you putting it Brian's back? on his third glass? <laughs> Hold on. Quiet. <laughs> nope. So weak. Hashtag worth it. Nope. <laughs> Man, you know, I I meant to introduce us as the stars of the show, but I think people understand that about us. And we'll fix that. Uh, we'll fix that wine pop in post. You can add it. Add it. Add yeah. Something. Exactly. So. <laughs> Question, uh, what are the key ingredients to a successful pub theology gathering? Both Ogan and I have led such gatherings uh, more than a few times, so maybe we have some thoughts about that. Uh, but what helps a gathering of people at the pub to talk about life and faith go well? Um, just like in any real estate venture, location, location, location. Um, I think primarily you, you, you need a, a good gathering place that has a nice extensive beer menu. Um, that's key. That's key. Um, and it also needs to be a place that you can have a discussion. Um, so some places have back rooms that you can reserve the back room for large parties. Um, some places have like, you know, uh, again, a back corner that you can um, reserve some tables. It's not gonna work well in a real loud, noisy bar um, where people can't hear each other or they're yelling across the table and there's a lot of background music. So so the location is needs a lot of consideration for one. Excellent, excellent. I agree, uh, location is key and I think you hit on a couple of important points there. Uh, can you hear each other? Is there going to be seating for a group of whatever size you're going to have, six to 25 or, or larger? You got to know what kind of crowd you anticipate and can you guarantee that you'll get that kind of seating and that you'll have um, the setting in which you can have a conversation. And of course, 
a good beer list does not hurt and also ever other beverages for the non-beer drinkers and perhaps non-alcohol drinkers uh, what else I, th I think it's really important to have a good mix of people um, that are thoughtful and non-confrontational but like are, are willing to share their per you know their opinions and and a follow-up to that is I think it's really important I know Brian you put out lists of questions every week that people can subscribe to but if they're not subscribing to those lists to have thoughtful open-ended questions that that can um, bring about good discussion mm. and you can only control who shows up to the group to a certain extent like true, true. you know if you happen to start a pub pop theology group and only like wallflower type introverts show up <laughs> I mean, you know, you got you got you got your work cut out for you, but but you're not going to say to them, "All right, y'all are not active enough, so don't come back." No, you can't yeah, say no, no. that. That's where you I, move to the scotch to loosen up the tongues. <laughs> there you go. Well, I was going to say, actually, if you had a bunch of wallflower introverts, because you don't have overpowering extroverts, you'd probably they would open up and you'd have some great discussions. But I was thinking more like, um, like if Ogan, you only posted at your church, you're going to get people that kind right. of believe the unity way and that's all you're you know like you're not going to get a good mix i guess well you I, could maybe i i i agree i agree with you and and you're leading to another piece which is um so my church i do not advertise at my church for this it is my group is not affiliated with my church um and that's intentionally so um because um, we we have we have a strong connection with um, AA and people in recovery at our church, and the board felt it wasn't appropriate for me to be saying to my folk, "Hey, you know, the church wants to sponsor you coming down to the pub and having a beer." <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, that's important. Right. And I, but at the same time, you know, there were people who knew of me even before I took this job. So there were people who were like, hey, are you going to do that pub theology thing when you get up here? And, you know, right, right. I share about it privately. Um, so, and I always make sure that when I have a group, I make sure to let them know it's not affiliated with the church and there'll be some of my congregants there as well. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little grayish area, but... Mm -hmm. But I, I appreciate what you just said, though. I think it's important that if it, if it's a minister running a pub theology, that they don't use it as a recruitment opportunity. Yes. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think you know, I I try to approach it that way as well, and we try to clarify or be clear that our conversation is not sponsored by any one congregation. Uh, yes, I happen to belong to and even pastor a congregation, but uh, other people at our group go elsewhere or nowhere. Um, and so we try to make clear this is a community conversation where anyone is welcome. Doesn't matter what your home faith community is, what church you go to or don't go to, you're welcome here. Uh, we do mention it at our church uh, simply because I help lead the conversation and I'm the pastor. And so if people want to engage in these conversations with me there, they can. So it does get to that gray area Ogan talked about, like because you're affiliated with a couple of things, there's a connection because of you. But mm -hmm. we really do work hard to make sure people understand it's a community conversation, not a church conversation. Yeah. Um, and other, what makes it successful is whoever is leading the group needs to have good group facilitation skills. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, talk about that a little. To help guide and maintain the conversation. Well, knowing knowing when to draw out some people who may not, you know, find an opening to share, knowing how to redirect the oversharers, uh, knowing, <laughs> yes. knowing when to let a conversation, like, drag on a little longer or knowing when to nip it in the bud mm-hmm. um, and and knowing when to time things so let's move on to the next question or oh this conversation is really juicy let's just you know let it let it flow um so yeah all those all those things going to to group facilitation and sometimes conversation gets heated you know how do we how do we calm down the conversation when it starts to get heated um how do we, you know, when you throw the question and like eight people start talking at one time, how do you, you know, navigate yeah. from one person to the other? And, you know, sometimes somebody says something and somebody else got their hand up, but before they can speak, a third person gets excited and jumps in. You got to remember, okay, help keep them short and then go back to the person that they hand up. So, um, so yeah, and they're all skills that can be learned. It, you know, some people may yeah. feel like, oh, I don't know how to do this. You can learn how to do it. So how do you feel that goes for you? What do you enjoy about facilitating and what do you think maybe you could uh, be a little sharper at? Well, I'm, I'm a provocateur. So I like to, I like to start the masses a little bit. Yeah. So I like to be intentionally controversial to, to do that. Um, I, I would have never guessed that about you. <laughs> I know. right? <laughs> shocker, shocker, shocker. You know, uh, check one for check one for I might be a good cult leader. Um, then then uh, I think if there's anything I need work on often is being I, I think sometimes I, I let conversations go on too long. Like I let yes. things drag out and, you know, because I'm curious where it's going to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and how it's going to how it's going to turn out and. And yeah, I, 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 I and but I, that also I feel like Brian has that problem with with facilitating this show. I that with this group, yeah, with the, we're having that right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good, good point. Good point, Tina. But no, I wrestle with that same thing uh, because you know I see the topics and the questions that we have, whether for it's for my local group or for this show or any pup theology conversation. I see them as springboards into a good conversation. And sometimes that means we'll stay with the topic and we'll really explore it from a, a bunch of different angles and we'll go deep with that topic. But other times it turns out that that question was a springboard to something slightly different, but it led us into something very good. Right. And so like you, I want to be cognizant of when a conversation is still good and productive and that's okay, even though it's not necessarily on topic, so to speak. Right. But there are times where it veers sharp left and it's like yeah okay how do we how do we rein this in how do we kind of okay what about number three we thought we thought we were walking on a beach and it turned out to be quicksand yeah yeah Yeah. again like this show (laughs) why are you even why are you it's just too easy come on it's too easy you're not helping (laughs) so i mean when do you think a conversation i mean what's a sign of a conversation being good and and helpful and, and engaging versus when you feel like, okay, we've kind of gone down a track and I'm actually not sure it's productive anymore. Um, what are, what are, what are warning signs for that? When people start checking out from it, one, like yeah. if you, if, if you go a certain direction and you find it only like, you know, if you got a group of 12 people and only two or three people are really like, 
the ones that are not even really like listening. They're just trying to get their point in around it. And then everybody else is kind of like checked out. Yeah. For me, that's a sign that, okay, maybe, maybe we don't need to keep going down this direction or when emotions start flaring up beyond, you know, the excitement and engagement. And it's not a healthy conversation. Right. Exactly. Or it starts to turn like, you know, in the last few gatherings, you know, most, a lot of the conversations, regardless of the questions started to turn, you know, political and topical because of, you know, where we are right now. Yeah. And, and yeah, we want to talk that stuff out, but not to the point where we start, it starts to feel like an us and them kind of conversation when we have both us's and them's at the table. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, yeah, great point. Yeah. Well, Ogan, I don't think it's ever healthy to talk us versus them, even if the them's aren't at the table, you know, we're still separating ourselves. Well, there's a difference between separation and distinction. You know, differences are good. Differences and plurality and diversity is good. And that inherently means you know, there's people in this group and people in this group. Granted, what unites us is far more exceeding what divides us. So I think it's all it's okay to make the distinctions, but when the distinctions start turning into difference is bad, that's when we gotta, you know, kind of. We have a cult. (laughs) So, so one of the things that we say at Pub Theology, or at least conversations I've been a part of, is that. Um, people of all perspectives are welcome, right? Wherever you're coming from, whatever your religious history, whatever your religious tradition, whatever your current affiliation with uh, a congregation is or isn't, whatever your political views are, you're welcome to pull up a chair and join the conversation. But something I've noticed is that we tend to get fewer people who are more, for lack of a better word, conservative in their religious expression uh and that tends to correlate with more conservative in their political expression uh, and i'm wondering if you've noticed that and why you think that might be um yes and but at the same point in time you know i i have quite a few atheists and buddhists in my group as well right so but but in terms of their thinking it does yes tend to be more on the progressive side of things i think that's because of us who are in charge of the group. I, I, I disagree. But you, you, let me make Go ahead, finish. Go ahead, finish. <laughs> I, I think it's because people people know, like you and me, Brian, people know where we stand about things. Uh, yes. Um, they, they, they know where we fall on that, like, you know, conservative progressive spectrum. spectrum. Um, and I think that when there's a conversation, um, in our groups and we share kind of where we are again, not about making other people wrong, but where we are. And it looks like most of the people around the table are like that. Yeah. It may feel, I think it takes a brave person to say, I'm going to still walk into the midst and remain in a group where even though my voice is going to be heard, it's clear that more people in the group are not necessarily, um, on, my side of things okay first of all let me say that like i've never been in either one of your pub theologies but i can see brian being very inclusive for people that have different opinions 
Um, You're not going to see me being that way? Well, I see you being more vocal about your opinion and Brian being more in the question, which brings me to why I disagree with you with all that is no matter who's leading the group, the whole point of pub theology is being in the question. And I think conservative people are kind of afraid to be in the question. And because of that, they're not really drawn to something like pub theology. They want Uh, concrete answers. They don't want to question. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head in a certain way. I think I think that no, I'm disagreeing something. with it. Okay, so let me let, first let me respond. I think <laughs> I think that's a big part of it. And I think when we have had more conservative people come, they want to come lay down their answer and then have everybody suddenly be like, "Wow, I didn't know that. Now I agree with you." And when they realize that it's a venue in which we we probably disagree with each other, a number of us, no matter who's there. And it's okay for us to disagree at the end of the night. They, they end up kind of disappointed because they have this idea that I, I have the truth and I'm going to come in and enlighten everyone. Whereas mm-hmm. I think more progressive-minded folks are more used to that pluralistic space and are living in the questions themselves so they don't come with an agenda to sort of turn everyone to their view. Or maybe that's just because you're one of those people and you don't think you're trying to turn everyone to your view, but yeah, because I mean, mean, progressives are just as guilty as conservative thinkers and believers as that. Being pious. (laughs) We want to say, we want to say that we're open and welcoming and maybe in many respects that we are, but we're never not, we're never going to say that we aren't right about what we believe. So we're we're just as guilty uh, as as that, um, but but yeah, I I I I I think yes. So if I'm gonna use myself, I'll throw myself under the bus. When I think back to when I was in a more traditional evangelical way of thinking, that yes, it was it was definitely more of a, you know, my what I believed yes was true. Nothing else was. So I would intentionally, and it was you know, encourage for me to hang out with other people who believe just as much what I did. You hang out with the other believers because the people who weren't believers will lead lead you astray. You know, one of the kind of one of the characteristics of a cult, they encourage people to hang out with other cult members or people who believe exactly the same thing to kind of reinforce the belief system. When you're in a cult, don't you have to hang out with other cult members, though? But that's what I'm saying. Mm. That's, that's mm. what I'm saying. It, it's 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 that idea, you know. Uh, I was I was doing a, a class, an abundance consciousness class or a prosperity class in my church last night, and some, you know, we had this debate about about basically what God is, and you know, and I was talking about you know this is Unity's perspective about. God not being this being with a with a plan that we don't understand, but you know that 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 presence of love and oneness. There is no there's no predestination. There's no God's will in terms of what's scripted for you. And she looked at me after class and asked a great question. She's like, "How do you know that's true? Like, how do you yeah. know that's true versus yeah the other thing?" Right. And I said, "I said simply for me, it's a matter of how I want to experience life." And how I want to experience life is pretty much always going to be related mm. to how I think of experience and understand God. So do I want to 
live my life from a place of I need to, you know, appease a God that may or may not grant me what I want, uh, that that I always got to figure out, am I am I following rightly? Am I exercising my faith properly and leave it all to chance yeah. or, or not? Right. But you would say, despite, you know, given all of that, you would also give the proviso that I could be wrong and... Right. Yeah, and, and and I followed right. it up with saying to her, and you are, of course, and you're welcome to choose whichever path you want to go. If you want to believe in the God that, you know, has scripted the plan for your life and you, you got to figure that out and everything is but a lesson for you to learn. And, and you know, it's there's some mysterious plan in play that you don't know about and you're just floating along in it. Like you are more than welcome to embrace that idea. I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong about that. I'm not going to tell you that what I believe is right. I'm just going to say yeah. what works for me in how I want to experience the world. I, I think Ogan just answered the question that he would not make a good cult leader. <laughs> there we go. All right. I know Tina's trying to trying to move us along. So the last I, thing I would I want to talk that, cults. <laughs> I know and we're we're right there. I would just say that that people who aren't with able or willing to say unless we're I, not right there <laughs> people who are unwilling to say but i could be wrong have a difficult time in showing up to a conversation that is pluralistic right. uh, that's a really good point brian so all right so jb in nashville thank you for listening and for um inspiring this topic he says how would you define a cult and what's the difference between a cult and a religion or a church group what do you guys think? You don't want me going first. Go ahead, Ogan. Why not? Ooh. Why don't I want you going first? You go. Come on. There is no difference. It's oh. all perspective. <laughs> I mean, if you took Christianity to a country that had never heard of it before, and oh, it wasn't boy. the majority of the people who believed in it, and you told them the stories of Christianity, and you told them what Christians have done throughout time in the name of Jesus, and you don't think that they would view that as a cult? Wow. No. So, so, so there's, there's specific characteristics that define what a cult is and what a cult isn't, you know, mm -hmm. and you can, you can find some of these characteristics in other organizations, but you got to have like almost like a complete mix of them to really call it a cult. So okay, so what are certain aspects of Christianity I'm, missing? Then? Not yeah. Well, how can we improve? Can I? So, so let me read some of them because I did a okay. little research. All right, did a little research. Yes. So, so this is from a site called the Apologetics Index, and here are Perfect. some cult characteristics. One, the group displays excessively zealous and unquestioning commitment to its leader, whether the leader is alive or dead and regards the leader's belief system, ideology, and practices as the truth, as the law. Okay, that's one. Any religion, go on. Any on. No, no, that's not true. That I Hope I, anyone. Oh, sorry, so, for, so here's an example. Tina, you've been at a unity church community. Who is the leader? Do, do, does, do people in the unity churches you've been to, or any church you've been to, for any church. Ogan, unity is not Christianity. Okay, so let's look at an, let's look at Catholicism. Okay. Does do Catholics display excessively zealous and unquestioning commitment to the Pope? No, they do to Jesus. No, they don't. 
Oh. Yes, they do. That's the whole basis of the religion. Okay, ah. so okay, so now I I wasn't ready for you to go there. You did say alive or dead, but right. Usually, it's dead in recent memory, like died a decade or two, and so we're still hanging on. All right, Why? let me read some more. Okay, let me read okay, some more. Let me read some a more. Good question. <laughs> Questioning, doubt, and dissent are discouraged and even punished. Okay. The leadership dictates, sometimes in great detail, how members should think, act, and feel. What to wear, where to live, whether to have children, how to discipline children, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Okay. The group is elite, claiming a special exalted status for itself, its leaders, its members. The group has a polarized us versus them mentality, which may cause conflict with the wider society. The leader is not accountable to any authorities. The group teaches or implies that its supposedly exalted ends justify whatever means it deems necessary. This may result in members participating in behaviors or activities they would have considered reprehensible or unethical before joining the group. The leadership induces feelings of shame and guilt in order to influence control in members. The group we need, pre- see, we need David Hayward for this discussion. Go ahead. <laughs> the group is preoccupied with bringing in new members. The group is preoccupied with making money. Members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group and group-related activities. Now, here's the thing. Again, you can find these characteristics, some of these characteristics anywhere. You can find them on the Google campus. You can find you them. You can on- find, yeah, that's yeah, true. You can find churches that practice all of these. Right. But here's the difference. Here's what makes cults unique is when a person tries to leave a cult. There's there's excessive secrecy. There's pressure not to leave. There's always this idea of you can't share what we talk about. And yeah, there's stalking after you leave. Right. And that doesn't I don't care what you feel about churches, that doesn't happen in churches. Is is there a sense of we don't talk to you anymore? Sure, but there isn't the sense of you can't go and never talk about what happened here. You can't, right. you know, and and even though that you will find churches where like the minister, especially mega churches may have that kind of feel of he is the, he's the person, he's the one, you know, there are people who leave mega churches all the time, all the time. So I think there's a, I think it's a matter of extremes. So you'll find elements like these all over the place, but to what extreme does it happen? And it's the level of extremity that determines if it's in that real cult category or not okay again i feel like i understand what you're saying it's not the religion overall but there are definitely sects of every religion that that encompass exactly what you just said people feel like their lives are over because they've been ostracized by the church so again this does happen this does like, yeah, happen yeah. again i'm not saying that there aren't cults out there or some don't feel cult like i'm not making that argument but again you you gotta have this real trifecta not this real trifecta but but to be really considered a cult all these things need to be present all at the same time and really the key is the leader like yeah okay okay so in my opinion exactly like i understand what you're saying in in my opinion the biggest thing to have in a cult 
is control and it's done by traumatic bonding. And you named very specific things that need to happen for traumatic bonding, but traumatic bonding is 100% emotional and can be done in so many different ways. Sure. I, they, there doesn't have to be a physical threat for oh, somebody no, I, to be traumatically bonded to a church or to feel like they can't talk about things outside of a church. There are a lot of people that have been seriously physically, mentally, and emotionally abused in the church that are not allowed to talk about it. They, that does, yeah, that does happen. I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I'm not disagreeing with you on that at all. And again, yes, some churches, it's, you know, especially like, you know, independent singular churches that are not part of a denomination, some can feel cult-like. I'm not disagreeing with you. But, but all I'm saying is, again, it's a matter of degrees. It's a matter of degrees. Yes, there are people who've been spiritually wounded by churches. You know, one of our previous guests, uh, Carol Howard Merritt, just wrote a book, published a book about that. We're going to have her on the show sometime soon to yeah. talk about it. Yeah, it, people can be wounded by church. They have been. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm not disagreeing with the sense of ostracization. <laughs> so what about, what about the definition of a cult as a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices considered by others as strange and sinister? Uh, does that, that does that rule okay. out mainstream world religions like Judaism, Islam, Christianity? So it's okay as long as the masses are doing it? <laughs> well, generally, yes. <laughs> but no, I no, no, it's not okay. Um, but so like for a long time, I was told that unity was a cult. You know, when I was in 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 my more traditional evangelical Christian experience, I was told that unity was a cult. And why were we a cult? Because we didn't believe like Jesus was the true only son of God. Right. Okay. Now, who was the cult? Us or them? Exactly. It was a mirror. Right. But neither. Here's why neither was the cult. Because regardless of regardless of the adherence to the belief system, I at no point in time felt in any way, like you said, threatened i never felt like i couldn't leave the organization and after i left the organization i'm still friends with some of the people who are there and 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 we have great religious debates sometimes you see them on facebook so again there's there and the level of secrecy also by all members and the enforcement of that secrecy is one of the telltale signs of a cult scientology for example is what i'll bring to mind like that's a lockdown kind of place. And if you're watching uh, Leah Remini, the star who used to be on King of Queens, who used to belong to Scientology, now she has a, uh, a reality show because she's left the organization. She's connecting with other people who've, who've left the organization, and she is beginning to shed light on this organization. And one of the things they talk about is how they believe that Tom Cruise, yes, that Tom Cruise, probably the highest, one of the highest level people in Scientology is the guy, like he's the man. And it's a whole kind of thing almost revolving around him. So right. so, so why does it make it wrong just because he's from this time and Jesus died 2000 years ago? It's a great question. Time, time tends to be a big so factor in what we do as cults. Because so you can build up the myth. Right. I'm not I'm not saying that, but here's here's why it's an issue because 
How many ways of there are there out there of interpreting Jesus's teachings? How many strains of Christianity are there? How many variants? Cults don't have variants. Cults, it's this way or nothing. There's, they are the variant. They are a gazillion yeah. variants of Christianity out there. You know, ranging ranging from Catholicism to, to Protestants to New Thought to to you name it. So it can't yeah. be a cult. Christianity can't be a cult situation because there's no one there's no one thing that defines. But there can be cults within Christianity. I agree. Oh, I agree. sure. Many many cults are sects or yeah. offshoots of I agree major traditions. With that for sure. I agree with you. Like David Koresh. You know, the Branch Davidian guy back in Texas. Remember him? In oh, Waco, yeah. Texas? Yeah. That was a cult. And that was a whole Christianity thing that he propagated. And the members were totally devoted to them. He was having sex with a lot of them. It was a whole power control thing. You know, he convinced them, I think, if unless I forget this, he convinced them that they had to basically die with him and set fire to the place with all of them inside of him. Like, that's not happening at, at your average church, okay? Yeah, so okay. so he was a he was a part of the Seventh-day Adventist uh, church, and he thought he was the Messiah, and all he thought all women were his spiritual wives. Exactly. He was, he was a little <laughs> he was up there. Convenient. So, so what <laughs> yes. I can say with you that, yes, you can have cults within Christianity or any religion because this one leader takes you off into some dark place. It's not, it, you, you can't call Christianity a cult. I didn't say that. Or, or, or any I, religion. I, Earlier you were like, any religion? No, it's not. It's, but it has the capacity to be. Anything does. Anyone does. Yeah. So it's interesting to note that around the turn of the century, uh, early 2000s, some religious scholars began using the term new religions or new religious movements as a substitute for cults because the term cult is so polarizing, right? It has such instant <laughs> negative association. Right. They said, hey, why are we calling these things cults? Let's just call them new religious movements uh so what do you think of that shift well that puts yeah. unity into that cult aspect so, <laughs> i think it's anything that's not familiar over the ages oh, right that's see what, what you did there that's why unity was once called a cult all right so let me read some some characteristics of a cult leader because if you if you're gonna be a cult you need a cult leader okay yes characteristics by the way i changed my mind ogan i think you'd make a great cult leader because you convince everyone they were not in a cult just, just, read, just read my bio for the description. Yeah, really. of the cult. <laughs> so here, here's the characteristics and traits of the pathological cult leader. And I am on a uh, psychologytoday.com. He has a grandiose idea of who he is and what he can achieve. He's preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, or brilliance. Demands blind and question obedience. Requires excessive admiration from followers and outsiders. He has a sense of entitlement. He's arrogant and haughty in his behavior attitude. An exaggerated sense of power. Takes sexual advantage of members of his sect. Sex is a requirement with adults and sub-adults as part of ritual or rite. He's hypersensitive to how he's seen or perceived by others. Publicly devalues oh others as being... God inferior, incapable, or not worthy. And I mean, that's just the start. There's like there's like 50 things in this list. Okay, wow. can you send that to me? 
Wow. What, are you thinking of some people that you might know? Tina just said, uh, are we talking a cult leader or a certain president? I, You know, I said that in private for a reason. <laughs> As we read this list, sure, we can think of people who exhibit some of these qualities. We can. But again, it's a matter of degrees and it's a matter of quantity. This is a 50, this is a 50 number on this list. There's 50 qualities here. If somebody's hitting like 40 of them to an extreme, yeah, we got a problem. It is a okay, little Can I check them off for though. you? <laughs> check them off for me? Let's see. Grandiose idea. Sense of I'm just entitlement. kidding. I'm kidding. A little arrogant. You said we were going to talk about whether you'd make a good cult leader. <laughs> I could, but I won't. <laughs> Seriously, though, isn't it disturbing when like it's this need to be constantly praised and an inability to take any criticism yeah Yike, yikes oh do you guys have hulu by the way do you guys have hulu no uh some, sometimes original series on hulu called the path yes i want to see it this, which is a it, it, it is a cult they don't call them they keep telling people we're not a cult we're a spiritual group or movement but oh. as the show evolves it's fast don't tell me too much right it's how, called the path the path it's fascinating to see how more and more of them become aware of yeah we might be a cult you know and it, That's awesome. and it highlights some individuals who try to leave the group and, and oh, i'll check like it that. out I'll check so it out. yeah um but the thing about it that they nail is that it was founded on the teachings of this one particular guy and they follow these teachings to the letter yeah yeah, yeah. interesting yeah. Interesting. So uh, also in cults, members aren't encouraged to and are often dissuaded from thinking for themselves. Uh, I, I've seen that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I've seen that in a lot of church settings. I'll just say like that sure. churches, churches can write the book on dissuading people from thinking for themselves. Uh, so I think that's one aspect in which many churches exhibit cult-like behavior yeah. and i think that's a dangerous sign if you're if you're not letting people think for themselves or but brian yeah let, let's let's talk about that for a second with you two being ministers and and you know having passed and you know in in spiritual communities talk about that a little bit as to the different ways that ministers ministers can do this because it's not always aggressive and it's not always um very in your face that you notice it's happening you know what I mean? Well, so it can be subtle. Yeah, it, yeah. exactly. Thank you. <laughs> but, but in you know what ways do you do you know of like certain yeah ways that that it's done? So so it's hard for me to speak to it as a minister because I I don't do it. Um, I always encourage people to to question to be in doubt. I always say to people, doubt leads to deeper sense of faith. And I always say to people, you know, I mean, because sometimes we have we have unity zealots, you know, zealotry is found everywhere. So we have unity zealots who are people who are like unity is the way. This is the only way we are right and everybody else is wrong with a particular distaste for evangelical Christians. They're extra wrong. You know, so we have that in unity sometimes. And I always say to people, no. Unity is just a way. It's just a way to to encounter God. And 
you know, all ways to encounter God are legitimate ways. That's one of the, you know, the core values of our church. We, we say it almost every Sunday when we welcome new visitors here at Unity, we recognize that and honor all paths to God. So, so there's, there's that piece of it where it becomes subtle. And I think back to, you know, when I was growing up, where it becomes subtle is that when you are questioning, often it's a matter of maybe you're, you need to exercise more faith, or maybe you're going through a time where, you know, one of my favorite lines used to be, this is the way of, you know, the, the enemy, the tempter, the devil is trying to undermine you. Um, you know, maybe you might want to consider again, hanging out with more church folk and not your other friends who don't believe the same way as you do. Um, and yeah. And sometimes it's even, you know, there's even that message of, yeah, it's okay sometimes to have doubts, but you got to come back to what, right, right. what this belief system is. Eventually have your doubts, have your little wanderings. That's okay. We'll humor you with that, yeah. but come back here. Well, again, it reminds me of traumatic bonding. And it's the, like you just said about the, the outside friends. Ooh, are those friends really good for you? You know, or I, I yeah. think those friends are talking about you. You know, it's the subtle little things, the, the subtle little ideas that they plant. You but don't even know they're doing it. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I can, I can say that for anyone in any walk of life. You know, if I have a friend who's hanging out with a bunch of people who are, you know, deviant drinkers and smokers, and this person has said, you know, or, or drug users or whatever, and this person has said, you know, I, I want to clean up my life. I'm going to say to them, well, should you be hanging out with these folk? You know, so we can, to play devil's advocate, we can apply that everywhere. So, so, but again, it's, it's how you're using it. If you're going to use that to control the person, then that's an issue as a yeah. I mean, just what you said, are you empowering them to make their own decisions with that? Or are you trying to tell them what to do? That's right. That's right. That's right. So uh, I think a key point came across the wire on Twitter. Uh, Some guy named Will says in a cult, there's a guy at the top who knows it's a scam in a religion. That guy is long dead. (laughs) Oh, snap. Okay. Sizzled. (laughs) Wow. And to go back to what you said, Tina, about, about Jesus, again, Jesus never intended, as much as we can yep. tell, to start a new thing. He was, he was a good Jewish boy who was saying, okay, we've taken this letter of the law so far that we are hurting each other. And maybe that's not the intent of the letter of the law. But at no point did he say, you know, let's not follow um, the scriptures. Let's not do what the law is telling us to do. In fact, he said, or let's come, make our own law. Right. I don't come to abolish the law. I come to fulfill it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't. Christianity started after him, not with him. No, I get that. And I, and I get Brian's comment. Like, that all makes sense to me now. I get Brian's comment in the beginning that it's it's leaders that are recent or more recently um, deceased, because you're right, it was never Jesus' intention. If people took his words and turned them into a cult, it's not like that's what he intended. And there is definitely a malicious intent to cults. And I'm going to put 
push right. back on Will's comment about somebody knows it's a scam. I don't think cult for the cult leaders, it's not about the scam. They truly believe what they believe. Like that's yeah, what really I think makes it depends. It I think they're narcissists. I th I think that doesn't mean they don't believe. But you're right. They do believe exactly what they're. Right. I think some do. I think some know they are leading a scam and they are loving it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, you're right. I do. I do. You're right. I do. Oh my goodness. I mean, supposedly the founder of Scientology was drinking in a bar and someone bet him that he couldn't start his own religion. Oh damn. Oh man. I can totally and he see said, that. And he said and he said if a man wants to make a million dollars, the best way would be to start his own religion. And that was in its founding, and that it's still so exists true. today. It's so true, so, though, Brian. The, uh, the people are uh, emotional. They're gonna follow that, you. Uh, past, uh, have you have you guys uh, read uh, what is it? Uh, who are the Pastafarians? The Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Huh? You all know? Google it right now. Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. It's basically a fictionalized religion spoofing religions. Okay. Um, so look it up. It is hilarious, and the the people in it are called Pastafarians. And well, people are going to believe yeah, things I've, because I've they, seen, they want to find this. a way. That, that's it's not atheists a making fun of religion. Yeah, yes, it is. Wow. Yes, it is. It's not a real thing, but but it does highlight a lot of the things you were you were talking about. There was a um, one of the one of the urban myths, urban legends of one of the what used to be one of the biggest churches in Barbados was that the guy who founded it used to work at a bank and when he saw what ministers were bringing in to deposit in the bank he's like i'm in the wrong business so he got out and started a church i mean and, and let's think about this our, our society is driven by capitalism and marketing do you think that religion is not going to catch on to that I mean, you know what and, but yes and just for the record then i'm obviously in the wrong church because they're not I, i'm not saying it's every church again <laughs> No, I love, I love, I love my community, and they compensate me more than adequately uh, for what I for what I do. I'm just gonna put that out there in case they're listening. Um, <laughs> I save. I I joke, but yes, yes. Um, and and here's where here's where the prosperity gospel has really become an issue because a lot of churches um, that preach a prosperity gospel of God meant for you to be rich. And when you are rich, you're doing God's work. And a lot of these folks who give a lot of their money to the church to prop up the mega churches and the mega pastors that, yeah, I'm going to call that a scam. Um, hold on a second. Hold on. Let's back up because I don't, I don't think I've ever been in church to a, a single church in any denomination, and I've been to quite a few, that mm -hmm. doesn't encourage people to give 10% because that's what the Bible says. No matter what religion you're in, that is what the Bible says you need to give. I shall, I shall raise my hand and say that you need to come to my church. Yeah, me too. Because I say to people, here's what I say to people. I say to people, yes, tithing is a spiritual practice of faith, but I don't care what percent you tithe. I don't care what it is. But it is a spiritual practice because we know that when we give, when we give, give, we set up that universal flow of receiving as well. And, and I always, but I always had a problem with that. Like, if that's true, then don't mm -hmm. tell me a percent. Well, so, what I say, what I say is 10% is for sissies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who's, Brian, ready for, who's ready for 30%? 
Brian goes for 50. Brian <laughs> He's, got 50. He's got 50. <laughs> what I tell people is what I tell people is find the edge of your comfort zone. That's where it is. Find the edge of your comfort zone and give in. Because even whether it's money, whether it's your time or whatever, you, you can't live this. You're not going to have a fulfilling life if you isolate yourself, hoard, and don't share and don't give. Like that is no way to live. And we all see the benefits when we go out and help others, when we go out and give, whether it's donating to a charity, whether it's like building a health habitat with humanity, whether it's taking your neighbor's garbage cans in. Whenever we live selflessly, not only do we feel better, it's been proven to be beneficial to our health mm -hmm. and it makes the world a better place. So for me, that's the concept of, of tithing as well. There's more, more ways to tithe than money. Brian, what do you, I mean, in all seriousness, Brian, what do you tell your people? Yeah, I would say similar things that, uh, you know, there's more ways to give than just money, but also, um, we seek to, uh, be generous with the things we've been given. So some of what, so that money can be used partly to help facilitate the community we have, and hopefully also to pour beyond us for the well-being of our broader neighborhoods and the broader community in which we live. And so, uh, and I think that's a challenge for all churches is trying to balance the amount of money that's spent internally on staff, facility, et cetera. And then how much are we sort of giving back to the wider community to help uh, with issues of, of wellness and justice and, uh, you know, food, housing, all of those kinds of things. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't tell people a percentage to give, you know, I just say out of God's generosity, we give and that, and then we, we ask God that out of, uh, out of our generosity, may we help turn, may these gifts help us turn the world upside down with love. And a lot of people also have a fundamental misunderstanding about tithing and, and, you know, based on discussions I've had in this class that I'm teaching is called um, absolute abundance. And I mean, I'm not going to give details about what people have said in class, but but a lot of people had a misunderstanding that, yeah, it needed to be a fixed amount. And many, many, many churches do say that. Um, and and so, like I say to people, for example, for me, I've I've been tithing, not necessarily consistently, but I've been tithing since I've been a teenager in my church and I've gone in and out of doing it multiple times. So I've gone to the point where tithing 10% is not stretching my faith. I can like write that check in my sleep. You ask me to tithe 15%. Now I'm going to start hyperventilating a little bit. I kind of settle in at about 12 or 13%. I don't do the exact math. But for me, it's an exercise of faith saying I'm going to give to my spiritual community where I'm spiritually fed, knowing that uh, there's going to be a return in some way to the ease of and flow of my life. And I, I believe it. I've seen it. It's, it's been evidenced by how there's, I don't struggle in life. And I could say like, Hey, would I not struggle if I never gave? Well, I can think back to times where I didn't give of my time or I didn't give of my money and life was a lot harder then. So you want to call it coincidence, call it coincidence. I call it a spiritual practice that works. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. I will say that I do wrestle with, you know, being a pastor and when I'm giving to my own spiritual community, there is still a part of me that realizes 
I'm helping add to the budget that's paying my salary. <laughs> so am I giving to myself? You know, no, I'm not giving to myself because our money goes to more than just me. And hopefully I'm, I'm living out the things that I'm asking others to live out as well. Uh, but there is that little piece in the back. Don't, then don't give it all to your own community. Like for me, my spiritual community right, of course. feeds me. You know, I'm the pastor, but these people feed me in the love they demonstrate for me, the compassion they've demonstrated for me since I've been there, how oh, yeah. they've forced me to grow spiritually because of the questions they ask me, you know, no things that they bring to, to, to my life. So so it feeds me spiritually. So I'm giving back to my community, but I tithe to other places as well because I'm fed from other places. Um, so, yeah, so yeah it goes it goes it goes a long way. I like that tithe where you're fed. Yeah. I mean, that could be a book. It could be a, a workshop. It could be anything. So do you use the word tithe? I, I tend not to use that word because of the connotation of a percentage or whatever. I just yeah, call it. I, I use, just call, I just say giving. I, I, use, like I use the word and I and I explain it just like I've done on this show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that that's helpful. I mean, you have to give yeah. if you're giving context, that helps. But tithe, for me, tithe is that intentional spiritual practice of giving where you're spiritually fed, as opposed to, you know, I give 50 bucks to Red Cross. They're not spiritually feeding me. I'm giving them money to help. Yeah, that's helpful. That is helpful because you know, you know, the disparity of people who give in a way that feels like a tithe and people who give like, oh, here's I have five bucks. Here's five bucks. Yeah. So all giving is good. Don't get me wrong. Right. Of course. But but, but wait a second. But there's a reason you chose the American Red Cross. Like they're doing something that you believe in or you wouldn't be feeding them. And that's somehow feeding you. Like I'm not going to give to an organization I don't believe in. Well, me feeling me feeling good is not the same thing as me being spiritually fed. I can feel good about a lot. Why isn't it? I feel good about potato chips, but they're not spiritually feeding me. Do you really wow. feel good about potato chips, Ogan? I ate That's a quick a fix. before the show started. Yes, yeah. it's a quick fix. <laughs> We're is. talking. I'm, I'm gonna, we need to get We're off talking the show because that I have a bag of heart. potato chips calling out right now. Beer <laughs> touched my heart tonight, but it is. Yeah, how's that beer <laughs> working? Okay. How's that going? It's about empty. I, yeah, it's okay. going on. You're hanging. And now he can't taste it, so he feels good about it. <laughs> no, I got. Yes. This is, I, I. Here's a great. This is a great lesson. I got past the initial discomfort of the hoppiness as a lot of people often do with the initial discomfort of tithing. And I was able to then experience the deeper complex favors and it, it gave back to me. I'm with Brian. I think that word just has too many native I, context to it. So redefine yeah, it. Yeah. It's no different than uh, what is it? Marcus Borg who once said, we, we shouldn't be afraid to use the word Christian or Christianity because a certain pop, a certain section of the population have you know, uh, try to define it definitively. No, it's a wide spectrum. Let the rest of us need to reclaim it and say, Fair hey, enough. this is what it also means. Yes. But if the next thing you're about to say is, Hey, we just need to give the word cult a chance. Then I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really going to get nervous. <laughs> Let's give the word cult a chance. <laughs> it has been harshly pigeonholed. <laughs> well, you yeah. know what? If I mean, cult means guys new religion. on cult. If cult means new religion, Ogan's a cult leader. <laughs> hey, this show has a cult following. I mean, sweet. Oh, I don't know what that. <laughs> you know what I mean, know what I mean. That means it's obscure, and only a few people are really diehard fans. Isn't that what a yes. cult uh, 
Go but I don't know if anyone has absolute allegiance to any one of us. <laughs> As they shouldn't. What was that? I said, speak for yourself. Speak for myself. Okay. So my, my uh, final word would be, if you are in a setting, religious or otherwise, that does not allow you to question, doubt, express dissent, or think for yourself, time to find a new place to hang out. Doesn't mean you're in a cult, but you need to go where you're comfortable. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Don't be running up saying, "Hey, I heard him pub theology. I'm in a cult." Let you know. <laughs> but but yes. Maybe maybe it's a new religious movement. You never know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Well, that's our show, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Please connect and spread the word on social media. You can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. Or if you're surfing on that Roku, be sure to add the New Thought channel, and you can just tune us right in through your television set. And you can also find a pub theology conversation perhaps happening in your town. There's info at pubtheology.com. In fact, a national directory of these kinds of conversations. And if you don't see one near you, you can create your own. And thank you again to our sponsors, Craft Beer Cellar, who you'll find at craftbeercellar.com and Wink Wine Club at trywink. That's winc.com slash PT Live. And don't forget, friends, to leave us a voicemail at 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830. And you don't have to use your real name. Don't have to use your real name. There you go. Don't have to use it. But you could hear yourself on the show, so that's the incentive. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. going to close with until next time friends keep leading that cult responsibly um <laughs> keep those relationships dramatic <laughs> oh my god <laughs>